Welcome to Close Horse, the podcast that gets really queasy from just the mere memory, not even the actual presence of the smell of Red Bull. And I was thinking about why that might be. And I remember specifically Dylan's father, Ryan, and I really being obsessed with trying to hack the perfect Red Bull cocktail recipe. And they all involved a lot of Red Bull and a lot of flavored vodka. Specifically, I remember a really bad night where Stoli Raspberry was a major player in this recipe. Um, Our reasoning for creating this perfect cocktail is we wanted something that would allow us to stay up all night dancing and being fabulous. This is a time where I wore a lot of wigs. Yes, you guys should all just know now, there was a time where I was definitely really into clubbing (laughs) and going to raves. It was a long time ago. I'll try to dig up a picture. Anyway, Red Bull, not for me. Sorry if I hurt your feelings by talking about it in this episode. (laughs) I'm not sorry, though. Anyway, I'm your host, Amanda, and this is episode 134. I had a different episode planned for this week, which will now be coming next week because I like to move things around, but also because after listening to the last episode, I realized that this one was a better follow-up just sort of organically, not that the episode that's coming next week isn't amazing also. But this just flowed better. And I think you're going to agree with me when you listen. Our special guest today is Isabel, founder of Isabel SK, a brand committed to reducing waste within the garment industry in Los Angeles. All pieces from Isabel's line are limited run, and they're made with dead stock or vintage goods. She and I are going to talk about how copying designs and ideas is just unfortunately, infuriatingly, how the fashion industry runs these days. Isabel will share what it's like to work as a designer for a fast fashion brand and be required to copy others. Yes, that's totally how it works. And then she'll tell us what happened when her line was copied by fast fashion brand Princess Polly. I'm just going to go ahead and admit that the last few weeks have been pretty miserable for me and probably for a lot of you too. It's not because anything bad happened to me. It's just it's just been exhausting to exist. It's been miserably hot here in Austin, Texas. I feel trapped in my house. At one point, our air conditioning broke on a day when it was 105 degrees here in Austin. Dustin and I were way too worn out from all that heat to even feel upset about it. We were just like, oh, this is how it is. It's terrible. Current events have been making it really hard to feel happy and safe. I know a lot of you feel that. I have a coworker who's been giving me really bad anxiety. I'm sure you all do. That's what having a job is, right? Work has been really busy. It's been a lot, like almost too much. And I'm sure all of you have your own laundry list of things that are making you feel less than great right now. There's something going on where Hutch's butt was really dirty for a few days and it took us days to clean it. That was stressful, right? (laughs) Not the most important thing out there, but definitely something that was giving us both a lot of anxiety in my household. Anyway, all of this stuff, even Hutch's dirty butt, has been keeping me awake at night. I've been like skipping meals, not getting enough sleep. I'm hot. I'm sweaty. I'm miserable. My hair is like never going to not be greasy again, I think. And no matter how much water I drink, it's never enough. So it's no surprise that I ended up with a brutal three-day headache this week. It was just like a headache. It wasn't a migraine. It was just like a misery headache, I swear. 
Friday night, fortunately, Dustin was recording a new album with his new Austin-based band. From what I've heard, they sound really great. And so I spent the night in bed with the cats. It was awesome. And I watched a movie that is often my go-to when I'm feeling sick. And it is a movie, I must warn you, that gets worse with each view, worse with time. (laughs) The first Sex and the City movie. Now, If you have thoughts about this, I highly recommend that you go check out the episode of The Department about Sex and the City. Kim and I have a lot to say about it. We've seen all the episodes many times. We've seen the movies many times. But wow, upon viewing it this week, I think this movie moved, or at least it's very close to, complete unwatchable garbage territory. I... I know that this film is a fantasy, it's a comedy, it's escapism, that's why I watch it when I have a headache, right? But wow, it is just so sexist and consumerist, and I think my changing feelings on this film are really indicative of how much I have changed over the past few years even. I think I ignored a lot of it on so many previous views because I've literally never cared about luxury brands or the lives of the wealthy. They have no place in my life. I just watched it for the relationships. But ultimately, as I get older and have more real experiences of my own, all of the relationships and the ensuing problems in the series and the film feel so, I don't know, like two-dimensional and dumb to me. That said, I'm sure Friday will not be the last time I watch that movie. I know myself way too well. There's at least three more viewings in my lifetime. So can I just tell you what really annoyed me most on this viewing? And unfortunately, it was in the first 30 seconds. In a voiceover, Carrie Bradshaw asserts, like this is the splashy intro, right? We're hearing some Fergie. There's a montage of the city and shopping and fabulous outfits and groups of friends. And she says... Year after year, 20-something women come to New York City in search of the two L's, labels and love. Um, no. Women, well, people of all ages and genders, go to New York City to work, to try something new, have experiences, go to school, build careers, live in this big, legendary city, be surrounded by art, music, theater, culture, I say this as a person who knows many other people who moved to New York City as a teenager strictly to be somewhere that I wasn't where I grew up. And the city is filled with people like that, right? Yes, I did move there also to go to school, but honestly, that was almost secondary. It was the New York City of it all for me. So I was getting riled up about this on Friday night as I have a headache, not not a great combo of feelings all at once. But I, as I digested it a little bit more, I realized that this film was released in 2008, when pop culture was focused on the intersection of shopping, fashion, and romance. This is the peak of like celebrity gossip content and luxury brands on the shoulder of every, every celebrity, right? The Devil Wears Prada had been released in 2006, just two years prior, and it made fashion, like turned it into like all caps fashion, right? It made it even more important and glamorous than it had ever been before in pop culture. 
this romanticization of fashion, of the industry that actually created the clothing we wear, while it elevated the idea of fashion and style to a number one priority of all people, not just the wealthy anymore. In fact, we can all agree that fast fashion, democratized fashion in so many ways, making style and trends more accessible to people at all income levels, no matter where they lived. But I will argue that shows like Sex and the City and films like The Devil Wears Prada and Legally Blonde, Confessions of a Shopaholic, and The September Issue, they made fashion important. Like, way more important than it had ever been for the average person in the global north. And they, perhaps accidentally, perhaps not, sort of poured gasoline on the flames of fast fashion. Because now clothing was whatever, but style was a big fucking deal for everyone. Street style blogs popped up everywhere. Seriously, everyone started a style blog. Then Instagram blew up. And the outfit of the day, a key category of content for influencers and style bloggers, well, it became an important part of life, of just like day-to-day life for normal, non-influencer, non-fashion industry employees. We were all style icons. This is also the era when I began my career in the fashion industry. If you've listened to the previous episode, then you know it was pretty unexpected. What I didn't mention, and this is important, is that life sort of forced me to take that job. Yes, I needed the money and the career to support my daughter, but also something really violent and traumatic happened to me in Portland, Oregon, where I lived the day before I received that job offer, something that I am still truly changed by. And while I'd been on the fence about leaving my pretty happy life in Portland to move to a more expensive city on the East Coast that didn't have humongous trees and people riding bikes everywhere and all kinds of amazing house shows and cool creative people. I mean, there were people like that in Philadelphia I knew, but I knew it wasn't like Portland, right? After that event, I had no choice but to leave town ASAP. It was the only way I would ever be able to feel remotely safe again. The only way I could sleep a full night ever again. So I took the job, but I had no loyalty to fashion, no passion for it. Growing up poor had made me ambivalent to an industry that only cared about showing us wealthy, ultra-thin, super-beautiful young bodies in its clothing. I mean, I subscribed to all of the teen magazines as a teenager, and even then, I was acutely aware that while these magazines were trying to sell people like me stuff, they didn't actually want people like me in their stuff, right? Why care about Chanel when I would never be able to afford one of their iconic bags? And no one in my orbit, including me, had a use for a Chanel suit or Gucci loafers. Fashion was sort of a joke to me. A joke on rich people and also the poor people who got sucked up into it. I loved clothes. 
the idea of personal style, of determining the character you're going to play that day by picking out an outfit specific to that persona. I mean, that was me and is me getting dressed every day, even during the pandemic, in case you're wondering. But to me, style has always been personal. Style is a success for the individual. Style has nothing to do with the industry making clothing because it is a personal, creative expression. Furthermore, I had no loyalty to the brand that employed me because I had watched that company do so many unethical things to many of my coworkers over the years. Most of them I also think would not have stood up in court There were a lot of lawsuits that didn't happen, I'll just say that, but should have. This was not a company that inspired loyalty because it had no loyalty to anyone working for it. And I suspected all the brands out there were very similar when you pulled back the curtain, beautiful on the outside, ugly and twisted on the inside. But I took that job and I moved across the country. And within my first week, I was really struck by how lonely everyone seemed. Like, I was lonely, but I realized so was everyone else around me. There was no sense of friendship, teamwork, camaraderie. Just a bunch of people working long hours day after day. No inside jokes or laughter, just competition, desperation, anxiety. No one was making good memories, you know? I saw grown adults make one another cry in meetings at work. These people weren't family or friends or in a relationship, like a romantic relationship. This was work, which is supposed to be a relatively safe, unemotional space, right? Bosses would throw shit and scream at entry-level employees. Everybody worried about being humiliated. It reminded me of like fourth grade that way. Coworkers would pick apart one another's bodies and clothes. That was a little bit more seventh grade for me. And honestly, it all felt like everyone had seen The Devil Wears Prada and thought it was some kind of HR training video. Be cruel, be deceitful, and throw your ethics by the wayside. All so we can make a ton of clothes that won't make anyone very happy for very long. I had a boss who liked to say, we make candles and clothes. Nothing here is life or death. But to be fair, it did have an impact on the life and death of so many places, people, and other living things. It's a lot to reconcile as someone who worked within that system for so long. Most of the nice things that happened to me as an adult happened because I worked within that system. It's a lot for me to think about, and I'm going to be unpacking it all for a really long time, and a lot of you are going to be forced to listen to me do that. (laughs) Today, Isabel and I are going to talk about what it's like to work within that industry and how you, the worker, are asked regularly to discard your own values. Ethics are not part of the equation at all. Doing what someone else asks, no matter how much you hate doing it, 
that's how you keep a job in this industry. That's how you grow in this industry. It is no coincidence that I was the only person from my team laid off at the beginning of the pandemic. I can assure you that it's because I spoke up about what I thought was wrong. The people who make it to the top within this industry have to cast aside a lot of their own sense of right and wrong. Many decent people feel trapped. It's hard to leave the industry because thanks to the devil wears Prada of it all, people can't understand why it wouldn't be your dream job or why you would want to go work somewhere else or do something different with your life. I started Close Horse because after everything I had seen and experienced, I still saw people losing their shit over the newest anthropology dress or Danielle Bernstein collection or the Nordstrom semi-annual sale. And I wanted people to know it wasn't Devil Wears Prada. It wasn't Sex in the City. It wasn't Confessions of a Shopaholic or the September issue. It was all ugly underneath. And maybe those clothes weren't so cute or necessary when you realized all the pain and waste that went into making them. That maybe true beauty, innovation, artistry, talent, and personal style could be found outside all of that, would be found outside all of that, outside of this fashion juggernaut. And it was happening in our everyday lives with people we already knew and people we had yet to know but should know. I hope that's how it's all working for all of you now. I know it is for me. I see how all of this has changed me. With all of that, that's a really intense introduction. Let's jump into my conversation with Isabel. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my name is Isabel. Um, I have a brand called Isabel SK. Um, I My brand focuses on using dead stock and vintage reclaimed fabric and um, giving it a new life and turning it into new stuff. Um, I really try to focus on affordability and accessibility with my products as well as sustainability. Those are all like my main, you know, kind of brand ethos points um, that I try to stick with. Um, and yeah, I've been doing this brand for a couple of years. I um, I originally started my brand out of college, um, kind of on accident, um, <laughs> it, like completely on accident. Actually, my senior thesis at Parsons School of Design went viral in like 2013. And, wow. Yeah, totally random. And like, Things didn't go viral that much back then. It was kind of a different time on the internet. So yeah, it was definitely. like genuinely kind of a big deal. And so I had this brand kind of born overnight. And um, I definitely wasn't planning on starting a brand out of college. You know, I didn't have like funding or anything like that. So I just kind of made it work and sold exclusively to this um, store in New York called V-Files um, that was really big at the time. They're still pretty cool doing some cool stuff. But um, back then, my focus wasn't as much on sustainability because it was more so just producing that collection that had gone viral. Um, yeah. Yeah. So and then I kind of took a break from my brand, worked for different people, moved to Los Angeles, working, designing for other brands, big brands, different kinds of folks, small brands, everything. 
And then the pandemic mm-hmm. hit and everything changed as it did for everyone else as well. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so I lost my job and restarted my brand. And um, after, <laughs> you know, <laughs> after um, working for all these big companies in L.A., I really was just super like anti overconsumption and super mm-hmm. pro sustainability was just really looking for a way. I was like, you know, there's got to be a way to do this and make, you know, accessible, comfortable, cool clothing for young people that, you know, isn't killing the planet. So that's kind of what I've set out to do since then. (laughs) I mean, I I feel like your story is becoming more and more common. So many people who worked on the big corporate side of the industry are kind of like, wow, that sort of, I don't know, like broke the spell. Yeah. A hundred percent for me. Right. Yeah. I mean, same thing for me. It totally did. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I'm excited. I mean, like obviously pandemic, not a good thing on any level. I don't want anybody to think that I think that definitely created a lot of suffering for a lot of people. Oh yeah. But one, if we, if we're looking for silver linings here is that I do think a lot of people no matter what industry they worked in, started to realize that maybe they weren't that into it or maybe they didn't like the way that industry worked, but maybe they liked making clothes or, you know, know, writing books or whatever it is that they did, what their passion was. Yes. And now they're doing it themselves in a better way. And I hope on the other side that we can get customers to sort of like that spell to be broken for them as well. No, a hundred percent. I think that something, a silver lining from the pandemic is kind of like a new value for like life and our world. Yeah, And I think that really like drives people's like sense of like caring for things more. And it definitely did for me. Like, I mean, when we were on lockdown, all I had was outdoors. All we had was to go outside and be in nature. That was like, if, mm-hmm. if you were lucky enough to not be sick or, you know, that was all you had was to go out and be outside. And so it made me appreciate our planet and nature that much more, um, I think. And same with a lot of other people and just like the little things in life because life seems so fragile at that point, as it still does. Um, (laughs) So it's like, I think it made a lot of people just take stock of like what they want to do with their time and how they want to spend their years on this planet, at least definitely for me. And so I've like just made a really conscious decision to just be like, I'm only going to do things that I fully believe in now because life is too short. (laughs) The entire way I viewed my life and relationships and my job and I mean everything around me totally changed and you know I I've talked on previous episodes about how I was fearful that people would go through all of this and then come out the same on the other side and I'm actually excited to see that like here it is it's you know 2022 is it 2022? Yes. yes. God, I mean, my concept of time, right? And we're like no. halfway through it and people have been changed for the better. Oh, totally. Yeah. I think overall, I think it's done better for like everyone's, I don't know, sense of community, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, obviously a silver lining from a really tragic and unprecedented and terrifying situation. But it's like we, you know, it did bring us together. Yeah, I think so too. So you reached out to me after I posted on Instagram about brands copying smaller brands, which is like, I swear every day there's at least a new (laughs) one that one that I'm hearing about two or three. And you reached out and you were like, I have a lot of experiences and thoughts there (laughs) that I want to talk about. Yeah. 
Totally. So tell me why you saw that post and you wanted to reach out. Yeah. So, I mean, not only has this happened to me personally a few times in my professional career, but I've also like in your post, you shared about being on the other side of it and being mm-hmm. in those corporate meetings where everything hanging on the wall is stolen from a small brand and they want you to copy it. And I've like been in those same types of meetings <laughs> and it's just such a, I mean, it yeah. really is a mind fuck. It's really insane. And I just remember feeling so crazy in those situations. <laughs> and so it's just something yeah. that now that I do have my own small brand again, I'm extremely passionate about. <laughs> it's hard for me to like even imagine because like, okay, so as a buyer, I was appalled by it from an ethical perspective, yeah. right? Yep. But you're an you're a designer, right? Oh, yeah. Like to steal someone else's art is just next level of unethical right it's really insane it's and yeah and for it to be like oh no we don't want you to go use your creativity here and your talent just copy this thing i mean i'm not kidding like i have a specific memory of being in a meeting for sweaters (laughs) in late 2019 early 2020 Mm -hmm. going in Every sample on the wall, I was like, wow, everything on the wall looks like really cute. Like, I'm excited. They really, <laughs> the brand's really taking sweaters in a different direction. Yeah, yeah. No, literally every single sample on the wall was a bought sample. Oh, it's not a sample, God. it's something that they, they bought, bought and they're going to copy. And my experience on this, and I've talked to like tons of other people who are designers and buyers, it's like the same story, even when we all worked in completely different places, right? Yeah. Is that someone brings you the sample, someone who's higher up in the company, right? Right. And I, ha- you know what? We got to stop calling them samples because these are just oh, they're, articles of yeah. clothing, right? They're not they samples, them, right? They're, they're actual samples things. once they come in the door of whoever ordered I know, that. It's, but it's like, it's so weird. They're fully but products. It's like act- they're on the shelf products. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So they'll bring the product or the garment to you <laughs> and put it on your desk and say like, I want this. Yeah. And you're like, okay, great. But like, we have to change it, right? Yeah. Like, what is it that you like about it? Do you like the stitch? Do you right. like the color? Mm-hmm. Do you like the sleeve? Like, what is it that we like want to solidify in what we're going to use, like if we're going to use this as inspiration? Yep. And they'll be like, I don't know. I just like really like it. And <laughs> I was so you say, and every you, creative director will just say, I just like it. I just like it. <laughs> right. Exactly. So you're like, okay, like we're going to set, we're, you know, we're going to s- sit down and like, you know, take this as inspiration and turn it into something else. So the sample comes in. This is an actual sample that was inspired by this item. And I am not exaggerating when I say 100% of the time, the same person who put that original garment on your desk sees the sample and is like, no, I want it to be more like the original. Yes. yes. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> every freaking time. Every yeah, time. Every time. Every time. Yeah. And you're like, okay, but like in what way? Like in the color, in the stitch. In the- no, no. I just want it to be the other garment. That. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, and I think, you know, I can say this out loud and like, you know, I I know that it's super ethically wrong. Have I been forced to do this stuff in my career? Absolutely, yeah. because it comes down to you either do this or you lose your job. Exactly right. And the I've, I, the the reality is that no one gets rich working in this oh, industry no. if you're not at the top. No, no, no. Right. So like, you need that job. Like I lived paycheck to paycheck for most of my career. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, it's so funny. I just DM'd a friend whose brand was ripped off. Well, she just saw this other brand launch something yesterday that ripped off one of her brands. 
And I DM'd her and I said, the devil works hard, but underpaid designers at large shitty companies work harder, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so true. Like, so it's true. just how it is. These people, I mean, like, yeah, you're getting like under $50,000 a year to be like a designer or an associate designer or an assistant designer. And you're just essentially sitting there being asked at, like to copy things and find things to copy. I mean, I cannot tell you how like, oh my gosh, just the extent of it is really like, insane people they order these samples really products as we're now calling them and then they ship them off to their factories in china india whatever and literally have them just remake it stitch for stitch finish for finish trim for trim with no questions asked and then it's that's always it's just so unreal to me that that's how i don't know just like it's just gotten off for so long i was taught i mean i don't know I remember in my senior year at Parsons, they made us do like a business seminar because they're all like, well, if you want to have your own brand one day, you need to know business. And of course, I was like, I should have taken five business seminars. <laughs> I only took like a half a year <laughs> one because that was all that was required, of course. But um, I remember them saying like in fashion law, you have to change something one to three times to make it your own. So whenever like a creative director or a boss would give me something to knock off, that would be in my head. And I'd be like, well... I am going to do this like because I'm being paid to freaking do this. I need to at least change it one to three times so that I know it's like slightly ethically fashion law. Okay. Whichever, but that's even still kind of BS, you know? So it's just, I mean, and then as you said, they always come back. No, I want it more like this or more like this. And then there's the other thing of just like, I don't know, people copying vintage garments and feeling like that makes it more okay. And I don't really understand why that's a thing, but it's like, I don't know. I I know several brands who like have said like, it's okay. It's vintage. Like you can't find it anymore. Like, okay. (laughs) But someone still like designed it. (laughs) Oh yeah. Like that, the vintage, the vintage clause is like, I, I mean, I've lived in that for so long. I like almost believe it's real. (laughs) I know. I know know that it's based in law, but it's, it's totally true. Like I, Uh, You know, one of the companies I work for, a nasty gal, which is now owned by Boohoo and is a totally different brand. But when I worked for them, you know, we were based in L.A. We had a pretty large in-house design team and and line of design product. And I'm going to tell you, it was all really cool. But 50% of it was copied vintage. And the other 50% was copied runway. And, like, it was all really cool, like I said. But, I mean, it was it was, it had to be hard to be a designer yeah. there. You know what oh, I mean? Totally. No, I've worked at very similar companies to that. And yeah, it's very, it's difficult because it's like, yeah, you're like predicting trends with like using that runway inspiration, but you're also like mass marketing it. And you're also supposed to be copying mm-hmm. what's already trendy. And it's a weird, yeah, it's a weird kind of way to try and fit in to being a designer and ultimately made me feel not like a designer at all. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. Like I said, you have a creative job and then you don't get to do that. I mean, even a lot of the places that I've worked, depending on the size of the company or like the categories I were working on, maybe didn't have a designer. And so it was up to me as the buyer to also create the product. Oh, yeah. I've worked with buyers like that very closely, like where they're telling me what to design. Right, right, right. And I specifically remember like early in my career, I worked for a big fast fashion brand. And you want to talk about like being not paid at all. I want to say... 
I was paid $34,000 a year oh my God. for yeah. my salary job where I managed millions of dollars in business. Yeah, exactly. It was the thing. Like I me. Right. And I like I would pay my rent and my other bills for the month and I'd be like, okay, my budget for the rest of the month is I have $15 a day to spend on food and public transportation. <laughs> yes. oh. But then I'm going to go into work and I'm going to write POs for like $100,000. Yes, like, I know. I, I know. know. Oh. Anyway, so there we it was in accessories and so we didn't have a design team so we had to develop all the product ourselves. Mm-hmm. And my boss, the way she looked at it is we should buy stuff and copy it. And she would always be like, "Amanda, I just don't think you're very creative because you're not <laughs> copying a lot of stuff basically." Like she was like, "I just don't know if you're a creative person oh because you don't seem to like developing product." And I was like, "Listen, I like inventing new product. Yeah. I don't like going to LA." Going to Marc Jacobs, yes. buying something and bringing it back to the office and copying it, which is like what you want me to do. Mm-hmm. And over time, I realized like it was holding back my career at that company that I was unwilling to just copy things. Yeah. And I eventually left. That was like one of the reasons I left that job because I yeah. was like, I just I'm I can't sacrifice my ethics to also not even be able to really afford food. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I feel the same way. That's essentially why I've like either left or been let go from every job because I will not like adhere to that crap. And like, I just, I can't, it like crushes my soul in a way that I just became like a shitty coworker in some of those places. You know what I mean? And I yeah. could tell I didn't want to be there and it's yeah. like, yeah, I don't want to be here. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think like, I'm very much a designer in that way. I'm like, I'm showing, I'm all my cards are on my face, you know, (laughs) you know, totally, (laughs) totally. And I think for the people who are doing that, it's like, like the designers and buyers, like I don't judge them because like they need a paycheck and absolutely they've been doing it for so long. Like it's just, I don't know. It gets normalized in their minds because they also need to exist. And yep. the reality is like this industry is so small that if you work at one place and they're like, Amanda is unwilling to copy things. I guess she's not creative. That's going to stand your way of getting jobs other places. Oh, 1000%, especially in like, I mean, like in America, because you have like New York or LA basically, which they're both so small. <laughs> exactly. The industries exactly. are so small here. And then you have like it's, a little yeah. bit of like Chicago, Miami, but that's very small communities too. So it's, yeah. You're, you have to, yeah, you have to either like drink the Kool-Aid or get out and do your own thing. That's really the options or just like be okay with being really, really unhappy with what you do every day, which some people can do. And like, I, you know, there's a level of respect that I give to that, but I personally am too emotional for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. I mean, I think for me, like I was locked into this really unethical industry for so long mm-hmm. and every time I would try to get out there was just nowhere else to go. Yeah. People would be like, "Why are you leaving fashion?" Right. Or you don't really want to leave fashion. You're going to take this job and then leave and go back to fashion. Like no, that totally. was like what people would throw my way. And so I felt really trapped. I Absolutely. felt really really trapped. And for me, the the pandemic and losing my job was a great way for me to be like, oh, I'm forced into like leaving this. Like this is incredible. Same, you know? <laughs> same. No, exactly. I like felt this huge level of relief. It was like when you like have like a shitty breakup or something and you're like, I know that like you you thought you'd feel sad, but you're like, I'm actually feeling awesome about this. But like Yeah. It yeah. was so like that. Like I just was like, oh, I just got fired, but also half the company did. And also Mm, I'm getting these like unemployment checks and I think I can do something with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. It all just kind of worked out and at the time, you know, which you know, is like randomly lucky for 
I think, I think fashion people, I've heard this story more than other industries, honestly, though. <laughs> I do. I do. I think that, uh, a lot of people were glad to be laid off, even if they didn't realize it at the time who yeah. worked in fashion. Because, yeah. I mean, talk about an industry where so many people are struggling with, like, substance abuse problems, mental yes. health problems, yep. eating disorders. I could go on and on. Oh, and yeah. a lot of it stems from the pace and the stress and the toxic environment totally. of these companies. It really does. Like, it really does, right? Absolutely. Like, even – I. I I started, like, I don't know. There are times where I will get angry at myself because I'll be like, why did you put up with that job for so mm-hmm. long or that shitty boss? And it's like, I didn't have a choice, totally, right? no. And I want people to, like, hear us talk about these things and realize that they do have a choice. Yeah, absolutely. That it's time for us to expect a better a better environment and I a better I totally industry. agree. I totally agree. And there's enough companies, even, like, bigger companies out here, like, like making a conscious decision to do better. I mean, you just really have to pay attention to like where you put your money because if you put mm-hmm. it in the right places, these companies that are doing better will start to outnumber the ones that aren't. And it's like, you know, it's going to be a slow burn, but it's like, yeah, it's definitely time to like, you know, put our time and money elsewhere, I think. And I try to encourage friends that are still, you know, in job situations like that, look like there is more on the other side, you know, just get a little money in savings and you can, you can do something else. I promise, you know, it's scary. And it's so scary not having a paycheck when you're mm-hmm. used to that for so long. But it's um, true. I don't know. I'm one of those people where I'd rather like be a little bit stressed about money than be very depressed at my job. That's again, me personally. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's true. It's true, but it takes you a while sometimes to get there. Oh, it took me years to get there. Absolutely. And it took me getting fired against my will. So, like in the pandemic <laughs> in the pandemic when there was no other job to have and I had to figure that out that like, you know, it's not so bad. My my lights didn't get turned off. I figured it out and <laughs> we're on the other side of it. But yeah, it took years to get there. Absolutely. And um it also took me like working my entire 20s and now being like kind of feeling more confident you know, quote unquote grown up now. So um, totally. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, so has anyone tried to copy you? Oh my gosh. So my most recent, yeah, my most recent situation was um Princess Polly, everyone's favorite. Mm. Everyone's favorite. Um they basically completely ripped off my best selling dress. Um so I think it was like before festival season, it seemed like it was like a festival announcement. I don't know. Someone like sent me a screenshot of their email marketing post, whatever. Um, and was like, this is your dress, like whatever, like fuck fast fashion. And I was like, yep, thank you. This is my dress. And um, basically I like put a call to action on my Instagram and just like told all my followers, like, let's spam them. Let's call them out. Let's email them. Let's like do something until they take it down. And within like 48 hours, the dress was off their website. <laughs> what? That's amazing. Yeah, we got like thousands of messages off to them, I think. But by the end of like the comments on the photo and the posts were like, it was literally thousands. Like they were getting spammed like crazy. Shout out to my super loyal following. I love all of y'all. <laughs> Let's take a moment to thank some of the incredible small businesses who keep Clothes Horse going via their generous Patreon support. 
Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room all while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the Party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer, but Gabriella is also a radical feminist micro-business. She's the one-woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the earth needs. The one-woman band to help you build your own brand. She can take your fashion line from just a concept and do your sketches, pattern making, grading, sourcing, cutting, and sewing. The second option is for those who aren't trying to start a business and who just want ethical garments. Gabriella Antonis will create custom made-to-measure garments just for you. Her goal is to help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. And that's Gabriella with one L. Gotta get that spelling right. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpagelifeandstyle. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Gentle Vibes Vintage. We are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vibes Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage, creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. 
Browse our online store at thumbprintdetroit.com and find us on Instagram at thumbprintdetroit. High Energy Vintage is a fun and funky vintage shop located in Somerville, Massachusetts, just a few minutes away from downtown Boston. They offer a highly curated selection of bright and colorful clothing and accessories from the 1940s to the 1990s for people of all genders. Husband and wife duo Wiley and Jessamy handpick each piece for quality and style with a focus on pieces that transcend trends and will find a home in your closet for many years to come. In addition to clothing, the shop also features a large selection of vintage vinyl and old school video games. Find them on Instagram at High Energy Vintage, online at highenergyvintage.com, and at markets in and around Boston. That raises my next question. It's like a perfect segue, which is, you know, a lot of followers, listeners to the podcast, people I have conversations mm-hmm. with are like, whether they're designers themselves or just customers are like, I don't know what to do if this happens to me or it has happened to right. me. What should I do? Yeah. What should I do as a customer when I see this happening? And I think it's a really tough position to be in because most likely you are not going to be able to take them to court no. and win anything Mm-mm. in any reasonable amount Absolutely of time. not. No. It will be like drain you of money and the any if you do win any any settlement is going to be years down the road, right? Oh, and I don't know if you've ever sued somebody but it's emotionally draining AF. It's not fun. <laughs> totally, totally. And so my feeling on this is it's better to take it to social media. Because that's where you like it's it's surprising. I mean, it's not surprising to me as someone who works mm-hmm. on has worked on the other side of the business. But that is how you get that stuff pulled down and you start to chip away at their brand reputation. Absolutely. And I think that's really important. Like I look at someone like Princess Polly, mm-hmm. which to me is like garbage clothes. Oh, Sorry literally. to anyone who loves them. No. But I look at them and I'm like, okay, so they're making like a 80% markup off that dress that they're selling for $54. Yep. They probably paid about $8 for yep. it. Like, it's not going to hold up. Yep. You know, there's all kinds of exploitation and waste attached to it. Yep. Um, it's interesting that, like, a brand like that would care about their reputation since they are turning out product that is, like, not getting... I thought so, right? too. I know. But they do. I know. I thought the same. But they do because, like, they know that, like, if I... I also, I think, took it on TikTok as well. Mm. Like, I think mm-hmm. I posted a TikTok, too. So I think they knew that, like, if they, you know, they know that, like, people will come for them in a big way. And that does affect their customer base because people are starting to call them out. That's yeah, for sure. for sure. I think that people are becoming more and more aware of this. And, like, you and I were talking about people, we've been changed by the past few years. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, like, finally saying, like, hey, it's not enough for stuff to be cheap and fun. There needs to be integrity attached to it. Absolutely. I mean, that doesn't explain Sheehan 100%. Oh, but, my God. I know. But, like, you know, speaking of someone who gets called out, it seems like every day for stealing from someone. But I do think, like, we need to, like, not give up and support other designers and brands when they're being copied as well. Because the more people totally. hear that Princess Polly or Sheehan or Forever 21 or whoever copy, mm-hmm. the more it damages their business and sort of forces some change from them in a way that oh, yeah. unfortunately taking them to court at this point will not. Like there's a gazillion lawsuits no. against Sheehan right now. And like, oh, yeah. not, it's not changing anything. 
I mean, I just remember hearing about like it took like Mark Jacobs like ten years to get money from Forever Twenty One. Exactly. Like, that's, Ex- like I'm not gonna get shit from them, but it's like, yeah, I can like have thousands of comments spamming their men- spamming their mentions for a few days, and like, you know, that definitely makes them look not great in the eyes of Instagram's meet like world, which they definitely care about. They I mean, definitely care about. It has them low-key shaking in their boots, I think. Like, I think that's the shit that they have meetings about that they don't know how to fix because that's what they base their entire business on is copying other people. Yeah, Yeah, it's an interesting business model, right? Like, how do you... How do you, where's the longevity? Yeah, I know, like, right? Where's the yeah, like how? I mean, but they don't care. They're 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 not. They're just in for the money they can make. As, now. That's I what mean, I think. That's what I think too. Yeah. But I think like it's important to call out that the longe- longevity in that business model isn't there if we as customers hold them accountable by not Absolutely. shopping from them. That's the fastest way to yep. shorten the lifespan of a business and calling exactly. them out when we see this stuff happening. So other people see it and stop shopping for them. Like, yes, it feels super paralyzing when you are the artist that's copied. It seems super paralyzing mm-hmm. when you are a fan of that artist or designer who's copied. And totally. you're like, how am I going to fight princess Polly or Shein? Right. But like the reality is like, with a critical mass of people, meaning everyone being on board with the same thing, we actually do make change in that area. And it can sometimes happen really fast, like your dress, for example. Yeah, no, exactly. I I totally agree. I was actually really shocked and like, obviously happily surprised that it got taken down so quickly. I was like, wow, someone's definitely paying attention to this. They know that they're guilty, obviously. And Mm -hmm. they they definitely know. Yeah, (laughs) they fully know because they also like copied the photo shoot that like I, I had oh. a girl that's like um, a big YouTuber had bought one of the dresses and she took these amazing pictures with like a gorgeous vintage car and the dress. And it was so cool. And the pictures that they posted was like literally a girl in a like vintage drop top gorgeous car. Like it was the same vibe. I was like, OK, they are fully just taking they just have my Instagram on their mood board, which happens all the time, as we know. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, totally. And I think, like, another thing to call out, which I have, I mentioned a lot on the podcast, is, like, if there, where there's smoke, there's fire. So if, so if Princess Polly, for example, is copying your work and your photo shoot, guess what else they're doing? They're being real shitty to the people who work for them. Oh, right? absolutely. They're not giving a fuck about what's ethical oh, no. or right in the world because yeah. – Stealing from other creatives is really unethical, and it's exactly. just a part. If, it, if that's just a part of your doing business of doing business, like if you're already numbed, that's to that, literally their business model. Yeah, is yeah. being unethical, right? Exactly, yeah. and I think that's another like really important thing to call out. Like, you know, Shein has been like trying to like make a play into sustainability, which I oh I feel God. like they do owe the planet and its people reparations. So if they want to dump money into oh, that, yeah, I'm excited Fine. for it. But I'm not like yeah. okay, well now Shein's off the hook. For copying well, it's people. Like, yeah, and I'm not going to order from them now. Like, I'm not like, oh, cool. Let me like order those no, things I was no. looking at. Like, yeah, no, it's still like a big no. Like, they're awful. But yeah, I, I feel you. It's like, yeah, dump money at something good. You definitely owe the planet and people reparations. But it's like, are they are they going to change their ways? Really? Yeah, totally, totally. (laughs) You know, another thing that uh, I have been seeing happening a lot on social media, and I would love to hear your perspective on this, is, and and like I am also going to preface this by saying I have friends who have experienced this firsthand in the past couple Mm -hmm. years, is 
they, they're small designers, they're small brands, they're being copied by other small brands and small designers. And I wonder if you have experienced that yourself or seen yes. that with other friends. Okay. Yes, I have seen that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really weird. I think that it's because like a lot of people maybe like, like me that have these small brands worked for people like I did. And that's maybe all they know how to do sadly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then they randomly will get like the funding or the opportunity to have a brand when maybe they're not the best person to be doing it because they're just copying other people's stuff. And then all of a sudden they're a small brand blowing up doing this. And I'm like, Oh, that's my fabric or that's my this, or, you know, it's just, yeah. Yeah. It's like sadly a really a trickle down nature of the industry thing at this point. I think it is. I think, you know, I was having a conversation with someone recently about how, I don't know, in the sustainability industry, if you will, specifically in apparel, whether it's like they are like a, a brand that's sustainable or like, uh, I don't know, like an organization for sustainability that they all seem to like run using a lot of tricks from fast fashion, like bombarding you with emails and constant yes. reminders and just like yep. constant new content or new product or all this other stuff. Totally. And I was saying like, I think that's because so many people on that side came from that ind from the original like industry right so they like oh, they yeah. just like how they've been taught to do things and i think totally i think with copying it's pretty similar like it just becomes a way of life but i also think like unfortunately places like shein and zara and all the really huge fast fashion brands have normalized copying because I Absolutely. I see people commenting stuff like that, too. Like, if someone posts, hey, Shein copied this thing for me, you know, there'll be, like, a mm -hmm. thousand comments, and 900 of them are like, oh, my God, that's it. Like, fuck you, Shein. And right. then the other 100 right. will be like, hey, that's life. You know? It's like, yeah, say that to, yeah, I know. I, I, I've seen so much of that sentiment, too. And it's like, okay, try having someone charging more like the thing with my dress is that i was charging like 38 dollars for it and they were charging 55 for stop. it stop <laughs> that's the and it's like a cute like going out like clubby dress like i i think i've upped my price now on it to like 44 maybe because i i had to find a new fabric uh person for it what's it called fabric distributor i had to find more of the fabric so the price i upped the price a little bit since then but Princess Polly was literally charging 55 for it. And I think it was 37 on my website at the time. Like, how dare wow. you? The audacity. And mine was made, like, by a family-owned factory that, like, I'm close friends with the owner of in downtown LA. Like, in very small batch. Like, there was, like, 35 of them made. And I managed to have <laughs> less of a profit. I'm not concerned about a profit margin in the same way they are. I'm just, like, trying to make my stuff accessible. So I'm, like... $37 is fair. You know, let's do it. Right, and right. Meanwhile, they're charging 55 for a crappier, <sighs> like, mass-produced version. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a rare example of when the fast fashion version is more expensive. Because I see a lot of, like, you know, thinking of, like, for example, I'm a huge fan of Selkie. Yeah. I, I don't buy a lot of secondhand Selkie, but, like, I have several. Oh, I love her stuff. Yeah, and I, like, yeah. I... They're like my favorite thing to wear, right? So I'm, I'm in this Facebook group for people who are selling their suck their selkie that they Amazing. don't want, right? Right? Okay, these people are mega fans and they're very loyal to this brand. And I have mixed, mm -hmm. I have mixed feelings about the brand as a whole, but I really like the clothes. And uh, 
sometimes they'll come in there and be like, hey, I just bought all these knockoff sulky dresses from Shein. Oh and they're God. always like $30. It's like shocking. But you, and you look at them side by side and you're like, yeah, that's the $30 version yeah, of that dress. Exactly. Right? But it's interesting. I'll see someone be like, you know, I think it's really unethical to buy copied stuff from Shein. And then that'll be like one person. And then like 20 people are like, yeah, but it's like way more affordable. And like if Sulky oh weren't God. so greedy, we could all have these dresses and we wouldn't buy them from Shein. And I'm like, <sighs> you know, it's like, that's the, it's not like Shein is like Robin Hood stealing from the rich and exactly. giving to the poor here, right? No, they're not like doing it for the people. Like, I don't think, I think that's what people, some people that do still support them think like, yeah, they're out here like doing it for making cute clothes that everyone can afford. It's good. Yeah. It's good. No, I'm I, like, hmm. I, every time I post about Shein, I will get messages from people who are like, you're obviously a really privileged white woman who doesn't understand that Shein is making style accessible to more people. And I'm like, whoa. I don't even know where to begin with that. I know, I know. It's you know? a lot to unpack there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, uh, totally. Yeah, yeah I, uh, there, I, I, there definitely one. is privilege in being able to shop sustainably, but that doesn't mean you have to go to Shein otherwise. Like, I, I think that's my thing. I don't know. No, I, I agree. I do think that a lot of, you know, I, this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately on a variety of issues is the way we as humans look at what's right or wrong and process information. Mm-hmm. And I think that we just like, it's probably some like part of our like alligator brain where we <laughs> want things to be one or the other. There totally. can be no range or things can't be complex in terms of the decisions we make. Like right. it's either Shein or, or expensive, sustainable fashion, and that's right, it. And you're like, right. oh, my God. No, it's, like, so much more complicated than that. And, like, sometimes Absolutely. you do have to buy stuff from Shein. That's totally fine. But, like, you don't need 20 dresses from Shein because, unfortunately, like, what I see in this sulky Facebook group is people who bought 10. So many. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, they're, why do you don't need those? You're not going to wear them all. Like, there's just literally no need for that. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and the right. influencer halls of, like, 300 items from them like literally oh like that i know that's the problem the overconsumption is the problem like yeah i don't have a problem with accessible clothing and accessible price points i work really hard to make my price points accessible so people can just come on over to my website if they want some sustainable stuff that's not overpriced you know i mean i think there are more people like my brand trying to do that um you just have to know where to look which is not easy but <laughs> Few and far between, but we're out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, it's definitely a weird part of that whole problem. It is. It's got so many layers. I'm sure that when you saw Princess Polly copying you, you felt like, what can I even do here? It's this mountain that I can't climb. But look, like yep. it worked. Oh, exactly. No, it totally worked. It's funny because I've also seen the dress on Amazon and that that more so made me depressed because I'm like that I can't do anything about yeah like there's no way that is like the kind of that's just not going away because once it's in that as you know once it's in that fast fashion cycle of being at Shein or Princess Polly it's on AliExpress with thousands of factories making it it's true it's that's just how that model works it totally does I mean I I will periodically go on to Amazon um, to look at their clothing because mm-hmm. I get a lot of like, I don't know if you use your Apple News apps, but I get a lot of um, 
like news stories that are really just ways to get you to buy things. It'll be like the best 10 dresses on Amazon right now. And oh, I get a lot of Instagram fashion. I mean, Amazon fashion. Ads. Yeah, Absolutely. right. And what will happen is I'll be like, wow, that's really interesting because I'm pretty sure that like that print I recognize that's like from spell like yeah, Amazon yeah. Amazon vendors love to copy spell or it'll be like some other brand where I'm like, oh, I I know that print. I've seen it somewhere else for like $300. Like, what's the deal? Who is this? And it's all, it's always the same set of vendors, but they're like oh, yeah. 100% copies from print oh, yeah. to silhouette of, I mean, the fabric and the fit, no, but like everything else. And like, they're flagrant. And I think about like Spell being an example because I see their prints being copied more than anybody else's on there. I agree. I've seen that Right, right. Yep. And I am always like, what does it feel like to be them? Because I will say like, oh my gosh, like five years ago, four years ago, something like that. I five years ago, I guess, I was working for like what was literally my worst job ever. The irony of the whole thing is like the creative director would bring stuff, sit it on my desk and ask me to copy it. Of course. Yeah. Right. But at the (laughs) same time, we had like a t-shirt and a phrase that we were really well known for. And Mm -hmm. it was like a basic black t-shirt with white print or white t-shirt with black print. And like on, I'm going to be really honest and say like selling this t-shirt was like fueling our business. Like everything else we did, we were able to do because of these t-shirt sales. And first we, uh, Forever 21 copied us and we were able to shut that down pretty fast. Like we had the money to get a lawyer and take care of it. But then it started popping up all over Amazon. Yeah. And Every, we'd report like 10 a week and 20 would pop up the next week. It's I just know. like how it is. And I feel like with Spell, for example, they must have just been like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah. Like, they're like, there's nothing we can do. We just need to right. keep making our own money at this point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm and, sure they're doing well, but it's like, yeah, it's insane. There's nothing yeah, you can do when it's that deep in that system. And so when people are like, I don't understand why this this designer, this artist got upset about this, I'm like, you don't understand. This is just the beginning of it. Exactly. No, exactly. And the other thing about Amazon that's so weird and AliExpress is that they'll use photos from people's Instagrams. Like I've had influencers that I've either gifted to or they've bought stuff from me hit me up and be like, look at this picture of me in your dress on someone else's website oh my god like no, they literally totally. use that's like you can always tell on amazon because it's like a zoomed in they're not showing the face and it's just like the body of a random influencer and it's so insane because oh they're my, not even showing yeah. you the products that they're shipping it's just like yeah it's a whole mess and it's just such a farce i just want people to understand that it's like not real clothes it's like plastic fallacies it's like I don't know it's very it's weird (laughs) it's so weird I remember back at Nasty Gal like in our PK day this website appeared in Australia that was an exact copy of the Nasty Gal website (laughs) except it had like a different name like I don't know it was like sassy girl or something like that but like same font same design of the website wow all of our product photos oh my god I was I kept saying like I kind of want us to order from it and right. see what we get because in the early days of Shein and I'm talking as as recently as like 2020 yeah. early 2020 a lot of Shein clothes were like uh, kind of a f- joke on the internet where people totally. would be like 
I ordered this. Here's the picture from the website. Oh, Here's yeah. what I got. Yes. And I would laugh at them because I was like, oh, this is something I know way too well as a buyer. When you are being asked to copy something by your boss and they don't even have a they don't even have the actual garment they're like here's a photo from a magazine or a tumbler or something and you send it off and so someone's trying to recreate something from a photo it's like playing visual telephone like it never works out and that's what Shein used to be famous for for these like it's like wish still you still get that on wish yes yes exactly no that's exactly what it and like they would always do these extravagant, like a Love Shack fancy dress. It's like, why are you, or, or a Selkie dress? I know. Like yeah. a Selkie. It's like, why are you even trying? Like, these are such the specific. Bar lower. Yes, these are such specific know, garments. Yeah. That brand, um, Poster Girl too, that was doing those really those mesh like skin tight cutout yeah. looks that everyone was wearing. That was like those are those are knit, custom knitted on a knitting machine, and then they're just like selling these like things that look like pantyhose with fringe sewn on them on Amazon. I'm like, (laughs) how is this even being taken seriously? But I really think that like the influencer like haul thing is what shifted that. It has to be. Yeah, I think so too. I think that we reached a point, I mean like fast fashion already sort of like reduced our expectations. Yeah. Like I definitely remember a turning point in my mind where we're only being able to wear a dress twice because then the zipper broke yes. didn't bother me anymore. Yeah. But it definitely would have been like devastating before that. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of this like, well, it's just forever 21. Like, what do you expect? Exactly. Right? And like that stuff was really high quality in terms of where we are right now. Oh, we yeah. want to talk about like a lot of these clothes on Amazon that are like random I hesitate to call them brands. Yeah. You know? No. Because they're not doing any work around branding, right? At all. But like there's like the original fast fashion was like leaps and bounds in term ahead of that in terms of quality and stuff. Right? I agree. So- and like, that's why Zara has always been so popular because it's knockoffs that are really good quality. Like you could get like a knockoff Alexander Wang purse in like 2010 at Zara that would last you a year or two. Like, <laughs> and it, it's and true. It looks just like the Alexander Wang one be like, okay, why not? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. And at that point I feel like too, like the fat, like Forever 21 aside, like looking at someone like Zara, it was really about like high fashion knockoffs, mm-hmm. right? Which everybody was like, eh, it is what it is, right? That's what fashion has been for a long time. right? But somewhere along the line, it, it turned into this like feedback loop of like fast fashion brands copying fast fashion brands. Yes. And so like it just got crappier and crappier. Yep. And as consumers, we were like, well, it's even cheaper and I'm buying 20 things. Yeah. So it doesn't we don't care anymore. And I don't know how we untangle that because I think, you know, people are starting more and more people, but unfortunately not all people yet right. are starting to understand that like these clothes aren't that great. They're bad for the planet. Right. Uh, they're designed to be shitty yep. basically. Yeah. And people are exploited and harmed along the way. Mm-hmm. And on top of all that, like designers and artists lose their livelihood by having their ideas flagrantly stolen with no repercussions. Exactly. Totally. No, I agree. I see people reselling uh, Shein dresses as Selkie on Depop and Poshmark. Oh and my Ebay gosh, and that's crazy. I know. I know. How are you going like, to get away with that? I mean, it's, it'll be like Selkie and the subject, but then you go in, it's not really Selkie, it's from Shein. And I'm like, oh, guys, it was obvious it wasn't Selkie. Right, you know? totally. But, no. Oh my but gosh. with some of these like, 
uh, like uh, Amazon knockoffs of like Spell, for example, like you're going to or I saw a copy of a Love Shack fancy dress that looked pretty convincing, (laughs) at least on Amazon. I don't know what the reality was, but like (laughs) you could easily misrepresent those. Oh, yeah. Easily. 100%. That's the other thing, too, is that like it's giving people a misrepresentation of these brands, which is like really not okay to people that care about what they're doing. (laughs) Yeah. That's a whole like ethical principles thing right there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I just think that like we need to, as humans, like think about our ethics. Absolutely. And that like, I don't want to sacrifice my ethics so I can get a box of 20 things for a hundred dollars. Right. No, I totally agree with you. I, um, I think it's just about getting more people to see it that way and understand, I don't know, there's just better ways to shop. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There are definitely better ways to shop. I mean, it's crazy. And now there's this whole thing of like all the fast fashion ending up in thrift stores, which is a whole other thing where it's like, now you go thrifting and all you find is Shein. I mean, it's insane. So much Shein in the thrift stores right now. It's nuts. And it's because people buy it and they don't want it. So they probably give it away. And yeah. Yeah. This year we've seen like critical mass of Shein in the thrift stores. Oh yeah. Like I, like even last year it'd be like here and there, but now it's like most of what I see. I agree. Like I have not in Los Angeles. It's been, I've just been shopping for vintage clothes at antique mall situations more so because thrift stores are washed i mean it's like a mess it's all fast fashion yeah it's terrible it's really crazy and it's just you know that's not all gonna filter out through goodwill or whatever so it's just gonna end up being wasteful still yeah yeah exactly it's It's just yeah it's so gross it's just yeah it's (sighs) a huge problem with not a simple answer as we've discussed but it's just you know we're getting there (laughs) slowly yeah Yeah. and I think the more we can educate other people about this the more they'll get there too because if it's just a small group of us who are like oh I'm buying less you know Mm -hmm. I'm making more ethical decisions for myself right it has like a little bit of impact but the reality is if we're ever going to untangle dismantle I guess really is the right term these larger companies that kind of get away they have like they operate with impunity right yep the only way they're gonna face some consequences is if more and more people are operating the same way absolutely coming from the same same mindset that we are and adopting the same sort of practices and beliefs and I think you know we it's just all about like talking about it more and being loud about it I agree. I totally agree. And calling them out when they do it every single time, no matter who it is. I mean, it's just, it's enough already. And enough things are changing in our society and shifting and pivoting that like, this should be one of those things that maybe changes, you know, (laughs) like let's Mm -hmm. maybe just do away with this. And you know, the level of copying too, it'd be great if we could shift away from that, from a design perspective for a lot of these companies, but I don't know if that'll ever happen. If you're enjoying this episode, then this is a great time to remind you that my work here at Close Horse is made possible by the support of listeners like you, just like NPR, and these great small businesses. Please go give them your support. Blank Cass 
or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles. By embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. Blank Cass lives on Instagram at blank underscore Cass, and a website will be launched soon at blankcass.com. Located in Whistler, Canada, Velvet Underground is a velvet jungle full of vintage and secondhand clothing, plants, a vegan cafe, and lots of rad products from other small sustainable businesses. Our mission is to create a brand and community dedicated to promoting self-expression, as well as educating and inspiring a more sustainable and conscious lifestyle, both for the people and the planet. Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. New vintage is released every Thursday at wearstevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at where underscore st dot evens. That's where St. Evans. Country Feedback is a mom and pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family-friendly record shop in the country. Republica Unicornia Yarns. Handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed. Made with love and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand-dyed yarns, and thoughtfully made notions. Slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at Republica underscore Unicornia underscore yarns and at www.republicaunicornia.com. Picnicware, a slow fashion brand ethically made by hand from vintage and dead stock materials, most notably vintage towels. Founder Danny has worked in the industry as a fashion designer for over 10 years, but started Picnicware in response to her dissatisfaction with the industry's shortcomings. Picnicware recently moved to rural North Carolina, where all their sewing and accessories are now designed and cut, but the majority of their sewing is done by skilled garment workers in New York City. Their customers take comfort in knowing that all their sewists are paid well above New York City minimum wage. Picnicware offers minimal waste and maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Cute Little Ruin is an online shop dedicated to providing quality vintage and secondhand clothing, vinyl, and home items in a wide range of styles and price points. If it's ethical and legal, we try to find a home for it. Vintage style with progressive values. 
Find us on Instagram at cute little ruin. The Pewter Thimble is a curated secondhand shop based out of Rome, Italy. Owner Desiree Marie Townley has a background in costuming and makeup for dance and opera and focuses on dressing for the character you want to be in the world. Curated collections are dropped in a story sale and always have a specialized theme like the color palette of Starry Night, the film classic Casablanca, and the children's novel The Secret Garden. Desiree works with local artisans, and pieces are rescued from markets and rehabilitated and resold with worldwide shipping. The Pewter Thimble is a collection of pieces that will have eternal style from the eternal city. Discover more on Instagram at The Pewter Thimble. So do you have any advice for makers or designers who might be listening to this who have been recently copied by someone. Yeah, I would say, I mean, kind of just like what we talked about, I wouldn't stress or worry about trying to take legal action. I mean, at least immediately, I would just try and hit them, you know, where it hurts on social media and gather up your followers, send out an email blast, post on your stories, like post hashtags, you know, get people riled up about it. I think the the days that I was posting that my story got more views than like ever before. And I was like, Whoa, I think it's just because people were just sharing my story posts and stuff. Um, and you know, they see, Oh, drama, drama. So they go click at my profile and look, (laughs) they're like, Oh, what's the new drama? (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, (laughs) and both fortunately people like drama. So, uh, this can be a really great, like, these it kinds is, of things like can really catch fire. Good marketing, I know. Yeah, I in say. a weird way, right? <laughs> I know it's true. <laughs> and I did sell. I had a couple. I did sell a few more of that dress. I still have the dress available in a different colorway, and it's not on Princess Collie anymore. So you can only get it from me, and maybe Amazon if you look hard enough. But <laughs> um, I mean, hopefully, just advice to other people. Hopefully, you know, it doesn't happen to you too often, but I would just say rally your troops as best you can when it does happen. And, um, just try not to think about how much money they're making off of your ideas. Cause that's the part that'll just make you mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just try not to think about how much money they're making and just no, try, uh, try no. and think about it from a positive perspective, like turning into something positive for your company because you can't get too wrapped up in the anger and the there's no rhyme or reason it's just what they do and you just have to let it go and you know try to hit them where it hurts and get them to stop selling it <laughs> you know what and they will they will bear some financial repercussions if they have to pull a product off their site because, oh yeah uh, having worked for companies where this was a regular thing mm-hmm. i can tell you that yeah first we First, we internally freak the fuck out, even though we should have seen it coming. Oh, yeah. And then we uh, pull all the inventory from the stores, the website or whatever. And what happens next is I am not kidding when I say it sits somewhere in the warehouse for six months or six years. Oh, yeah. Until someone figures out what to do with it, which is usually it's like donated or sold off the job or something. Yeah. Or like a Marshalls in like Louisiana. Yeah. It's just, yeah, but that's exactly. like what pisses me off more is because I work hard to make zero waste products and then they knock me <laughs> off and all of this shit ends up in a landfill. Like yeah, that's yeah. what, that's like adding insult. And I remember when this happened, I literally posted about this. I was like, I'm not going to not acknowledge the fact that like me even calling them out is creating waste because now they won't be able to sell this product 
that otherwise would have like ended up in homes where people wear them. Now it's just going to be in the landfill or like some random resale situation, like we were saying. And I'm like, that's waste right there. And I hate that. Like that just shows, Oh, it's just like the circle of like bad ethics. It's just insane. <laughs> it is. It is. And I think, you know, that's a really good call out, right? Like they're the repercussions that's a, that's of a problem in copying yeah. are, uh, yeah. That's like waste. I, like I said, worked for a lot of retailers, basically almost every job, not all jobs, but a big chunk of them, mm-hmm. where this was like the how things operated, yeah. right? Like like I said, it was like copy, copy, copy. Mm-hmm. Like it, not all the places I worked, but a big chunk of them. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing is like, okay, so we'd pull this product from the store and, you know, we'd ship it all back and it would just be like sitting in a pile somewhere. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that often, and I, I can't speak to say – pretty Polly here, but, or po- whatever, Princess yeah, Polly. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's terrible. Anyway, I terrible know. name. I'm always like uh, calling them whoever. It's awful. Right. Name. Worst name ever. I'm like, who is Polly? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, like often in this situation, they may have had another order of that dress already placed. Yeah. Right. Because they were like, this is going to be it. big. We're putting yeah. a stake in the ground. Yeah. There's another like 5,000 units being made over in China totally. right now. No. They might already be made. So there's going to go to waste or the fabric was already bought. Yep. Now that fabric might go to the waste. Yep. Uh, it might've been cut, which means it's like instant it's garbage. It's just scraps. Exactly. I right. know. Totally. Right. And I've seen it happen too from behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then factory workers, the people who made the fabric, yes. people who made the trims, all those people aren't going to get paid. No, because they I mean, are getting piecemeal. Yeah, I know. It's awful. It's literally. It's awful. Awful. And I, I think that's a, just another really important call out that like this behavior has repercussions beyond just Stealing one designer. Someone. Exactly. And yeah. that's why I, yeah. that's kind of like when it happened to me, what I really wanted to like get across was like, you know, like this sucks that this happened to me. And yet yeah, sucks that like they're making money off something that I thought of. But like, what sucks more is that this just feeds to the system of BS and wastefulness and pollution and abuse of your workers and all of that stuff that I'm actively working to do the opposite of with my brand. So it just like really added insult to injury to me. And it was like emotional. Like I was just like, F this, like, this is just, you know, I'm like now something that I thought of is creating waste in the world. And that makes me feel crappy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And once again, these are companies who know, that this is what will play out if they oh. get if they get caught stealing, and yet Absolutely. they do it because it's 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 no big deal to them. Exactly, like, they're like, I oh, can't... we'll throw away those cuts. It's only five thousand right. units. It's we'll whatever. just write it off yes. on our taxes yeah. or whatever, right? Yeah. And like, I can't speak to the size of Princess Polly's business, mm-hmm. but I will say that I'm pretty sure that they, and this is just as an outsider observer, that they probably got a big, huge chunk of VC rounding in like 2020, mm-hmm. early 2021, because I saw on all of the like uh, fashion industry job boards that they were hiring like crazy. Wow. That's so funny. Right. That's right. So uh, funny. Yeah. Um, so I would assume that to them, it's like, oh, if they, if they, even if they made 10,000 units of that dress that they probably, they're like, oh, they cost us $8. We're burning $80,000. We don't care. Yeah. Exactly. Like they just don't care. They don't right? Care. They're like, that's fine. And yeah. they don't care that this polyester fabric is going to end up in a landfill. No, they don't because the Which ethics means- are not part of the equation at here. all. Not even considered once. Exactly. And that's like, I just, I don't know. It's, yeah, that's the problem to me with fast fashion right there. It's just that ethics are not a part of the equation at all. Regardless of anything else that anyone wants to say, I think that's it. That's the you know, the paramount point. (laughs) 
Exactly, exactly. So now I do know that someone's going to listen to this and they're going to say, well, if they were going to just destroy it anyway, I guess we should buy it. No, no, we should not do that. Okay. Listen, like ultimately then they're going to pass the burden of this crappy garment onto you anyway. And it's going to end up in the landfill. But it's like we can't reward this kind of behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Straight up. Of just operating without values at all. Exactly. Of saying, we steal from artists. We don't care if shit is crappy. We don't care if we pay living wages. We don't care if we're wasting materials exactly. to create no. stuff. Like we just we just don't care. Exactly. And you can't support we, it. We have to we have to move away from that. Like listen, we all have had people in our lives that we've had to distance ourselves mm-hmm. from because they are bad for right. us. Right. And it's really hard. We got to distance these companies from us, too, because they are bad for us and a lot more people. Exactly. It's like it, it is hard. I get it. And it's like I, you know, I have spent the past few years really trying to make better choices with my purchasing. And it's really difficult. Like it's I'm not going to act like it's easy. And, you know, overconsumption is a part of culture, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And it's really it hard to shake. Um, I mean, I think. I don't know. It's just going to, it takes time and effort, but just like, I don't know, just like you want to like get in shape or like read a book because it's good for you. This is good for everyone. (laughs) So it's worth the effort, I think, but it's, you know, hard to get everyone on board with that. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of changes that we all have to make, but unfortunately, like we can't sit sit around and wait for them to happen. We literally need to start the process ourselves. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Like, like we're saying, it's just like making better personal choices with your shopping and, you know, going from there, even small things can make a difference. And yeah, I mean, it's just too much of a problem. And we're really just like bending over and letting them ruin our planet. Like it's just, (laughs) yeah, it's not, it's not a mystery as to where (sighs) the, you know, the issues are. It's not a mystery. That's very clear. And so it's just one of those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It's it's time for a big change. And we totally. just like have to, it's, it's not going to be, nothing is easy, right? No. But the past few years have been really hard and good things are coming out of it. Exactly. Exactly. And there really are more like sustainable options now more than ever. I mean, just it's for true. everyday living, not even in fashion. Like I've started going to this place in my neighborhood that you can like refill bottles to get like dish soap or laundry <sighs> detergent, the whatever. Best. I thought it was going to be like overpriced because it's all cute and like hippie hipstery looking on Instagram. I got like a whole thing of detergent, water filters, like dish soap. It was like literally $15 to get my month's worth. I was like, this is more affordable than buying single use <laughs> plastic stuff. Like totally. There really are great sustainable options out there. You just have to look. Like there's affordable, sustainable stuff. It's just about making an effort to find it. And I really just plead with, you know, anyone who's listening and kind of on the fence about, you know, I can't afford to live sustainably to like try at least because I thought I couldn't either and I've been able to a little more. <laughs> yeah. Well I think that we have unfortunately been fed this idea for quite a while that sustainability is like premium and expensive. It's like goop or something, right? Yeah, or Erewhon, like getting your $20 exactly. Oh my God, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I do blame Erewhon and Whole Foods yep. and Goop and a lot of these sustainable brands for this making luxury, people... Yep. Yeah, Making yeah. health and I, a luxury. Health and like ethical business shouldn't be a luxury. 
But the reality is, so I, for years, was working on a startup that was a zero-waste grocery store. It's like cool. kind of on hold because yeah. everybody's been having a lot of life changes. But yeah. I will tell you this. That's so cool. It is way cheaper to buy and sell stuff in bulk in yeah. refillables than it is to buy it fully packaged. Package. Because the packaging is like 50 to 80% of the entire cost of anything you buy. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the same with clothing a lot of the time. Yeah. The market, yeah. it's more like you're paying for like the brand's marketing in the product a lot of the time. Oh my God. I think about this all the time because one of the companies I worked for, I mean, I want to say we were doing about $20 million a year in mm-hmm. business. Yeah. And we had maybe 10 office employees and another 10 retail employees. And oh, yeah. none of us had health insurance. Of course. Oh, I know a company very much like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, guys, you can afford this. But our marketing budget was fucking insane. Exactly. No, I know. That's what you're paying. I don't think people understand what they're yeah. paying for with a lot of these like mid-sized successful brands like with these crazy like why am I paying $160 for a pair of sweatpants? Well, it's because you're paying for their marketing team or their out the external marketing team or their marketing team in New York and London and LA. <laughs> like, and their PR and, and their, their social media. And their showroom. And yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And like all the free stuff they're sending to influencers yeah, and bloggers. Because the clothes and- don't cost shit to make. I'll tell you that right now. Even in yeah. LA, like production. I mean, it doesn't cost much to make clothes. It really doesn't. So yeah, you're paying for the name and the markup and everything that goes along with working in that company. Totally. I mean, I think uh, outside of clothes, a really great example of this is Red Bull. So yeah. I, which Red Bull is disgusting, by the way. Sorry, everyone. I've had enough Red Bull and vodkas like early in my 20s to last me my entire That's lifetime. So I can't stand the smell it's, of it. Even it makes uh, me, me want to die. It's <laughs> triggering, right? Yes. So uh, at one of my jobs, our CEO was somehow on some like... I don't know, like Red Bull influencers list. Yeah. And so we would get these absurd packages from Red Bull. Like easily the shipping alone was probably $50. Yeah. And it would be like this elaborate box with special cutouts and you would open it and there'd be like five different flavors oh of Red Bull in there and like confetti and all this swag and all this stuff. And I was like, that's what you're fucking paying for when you pay $4 yes. per can of Red Bull. It's for them like, to send this to pe- random folks like this. Yes. Yeah. It's so – also, Red Bull, gross. Just wanted to say it again. Uh, <laughs> it is so gross. I and so gross. They – I mean, yeah, I – um, they do a lot with their marketing in general. I mean, they – between, like, the Flugtog racing and then, like – Oh, my God. I Bull, know. The Music Academy and, like, they, like, really – pump money that's a hundred percent what you're paying for with red bull that was a great oh yeah that was a great example yeah Yeah, i would say probably like of their annual budget five percent is actual making and like red bull right and the rest of it is marketing yeah 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 exactly it's really crazy i mean soda athletic shoes all these things like where the brand presence is so huge yeah and involved in so many things when you buy something from those companies, whether it's like a pair of sneakers from Nike or a bottle of Coca-Cola, yep. what you're really paying for is advertising with a splash of beverage, you know? Totally. No, 100%. And even like, I mean, I think even with like mid-sized fashion brands, that holds true. Like if these, if brands have enough to like gift, enough money and product to like gift and like and or get celebrities like wearing their stuff, like that's what you're paying for. Like again, with these like, 
you'll see this brand with like 75,000 followers, but then their sweatpants are $220 and the hoodie's 160 or something. You're like, oh my Why? God. how are they getting $400 for a sweatsuit? But it's like, oh, because Hayley Bieber's wearing it and whatever. But right, right. it's like, you're just paying for the fact that she also wore that or like Kendall wore a sweatshirt. Like that's such a thing. And like the PR packaging is like another sustainability thing that I think about all the time because you ever look at like any of the Kardashian stories and just see how many packages they open up oh. like in a week and just how much packaging goes into those freaking packet. I mean, it's like they'll get a box with fresh flowers on the top and then it'll have like chocolate covered strawberries and then a box that you break open with a hammer. And then inside of it is a card with that you open and then a Jack in the box pops out and gives you a lollipop. <laughs> And then there's a thong inside the lollipop. Like, that's right. literally it's, the shit that That's they... what the product is. Yes. The product is the thong. Yeah, yeah. no, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and I think, like, these are great things for us to be asking brands yeah. and calling them out for. If you see something like that on like, an what influencer's is the deal? profile, yeah. like, what the fuck, man? Guess what? You, the customer, you paid for that. Exactly. And it's going to go in the landfill. Totally. You know? Absolutely. Oh my God. No, I know. I kind of, when I was first kind of relaunching my brand a few years ago, I was doing more influencer gifting. Now I've really gotten kind of a group of people that I like to work with where it's not so much like gifting is, it's more just like, you know, we work together. Um, but in the beginning I didn't really know so much and I was like, everyone's gifting. I guess I have to start gifting. I saw someone tagged me one day. They were like, Oh my gosh, one of your dresses is at Wasteland. I'm like, oh, I know who I sent this dress to. And now they literally, uh, they got it for free, went and made money at, from Wasteland off of the dress that I gifted to them because they yeah. asked for it. It's just like insane. And I think that that's a big part of the industry that people also need to understand. They're literally paying for people to yeah. do that when they're paying some of these markups. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a weird part of it. <laughs> yeah. And like, look at someone like Shein who gives away a lot of clothes and they're already really cheap. Yeah. Like, imagine what, what imagine. is the trickery there? Oh, I know. I know. And you right? know that, that so many of these influencers are getting boxes of that stuff that they're like, oh, I'm never going to post this. But then like, what are they doing with this giant box of clothing? Like, and that's times a thousand every day. Yeah. Yeah, And exactly. the packaging that it came in, which is wasteful. <laughs> yeah, and so if you're buying a dress from Shein and it's 20 bucks, which is already really cheap for a dress, mm -hmm. and I look at th that as a red flag that probably the people making it got paid a total Nothing. of 80 cents, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Realize now that they might have only gotten paid 40 cents because, like, they had to send a hundred, like, I don't know, a thousand probably of these dresses a thousand. out to influencers. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, it's that much, like, yeah, marketing is a big part of, like, the BS unethical markup i think and it's you know yeah. definitely contributing to waste big time yeah big time yeah well it was so nice to talk to you today yeah you I feel too like we got both got really riled up i know <laughs> totally i was like okay let me breathe i know it's clear we're both like have worked in too many crappy situations yeah yeah but i think like the more we can share those stories with people who haven't worked in that industry. Like, it's important. It's valuable. I started this podcast because I realized people have this image of fashion that is just bullshit. No, I totally agree. And it's funny because I was reading some of the reviews that people do of your podcast on, like, Apple Podcasts because that's where I do podcasts. I listen. And so I was like, let me just see what people say. And so many people are like, I genuinely didn't know. Like, you're educating me. And I'm like, it's so true that like, they just don't know. I mean, just like how I don't know the ins and outs of, like, working in a hospital. But, like... 
you know, I know I can tell you anything about fashion. Like I get how they don't know, but it is really worth educating folks because it changes opinions. Yeah, it really does. It really does because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, and it really is a truly messed up industry. I mean, it really is. I've been working professionally in this industry since I was 14, I think, is when I had my first professional internship in New York, and I'm 31 now. And, like, seen a lot of crazy shit, and people definitely are not treated great in this industry, and it's definitely become the standard. And I think the fast fashion is like icing on the cake of something that was already pretty questionable. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I have yet to have a guest on this podcast. Although if this person is listening, (laughs) I'd love to hear from them that says I had an amazing experience. Right. I know. I'm like, uh, yeah, maybe if like someone like gave you a bunch of money to like run a company and never, I don't even, but even then like you're going to have problems. So I don't, it's just going to be stressful. Yeah. Yeah. I I even, I know people like that and their life is really stressful still. So (laughs) Yeah, I don't. Uh, there's, I, I, like I said, if you are that person and you're listening to this, which is let's chat. surprising to me, DM me. let's yeah, chat. Yeah, right. Honestly, yeah, I would exactly, love to hear your exactly. experience and be open to hearing a good experience. But I honestly feel like I only had positive experiences working as an unpaid intern, which is so backwards and strange. But I just feel like, yeah, I don't know. And maybe that's because it, this was also like pre 2009, so it was kind of a different world. But I don't know. It was. Yeah. It was because I. I began my career before that, and then, like, I can see that shift. now in hindsight, the shift was so huge. Between, like, and I can't put my finger on it. And, it was, like, between 2011 and 2000, like, maybe 13, 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there. Uh, I don't even know. I mean, culture, fashion, everything really had a shift at that time. I think, I want to say 2016 was, like, the end of, like, the golden era of a lot of things. It's true. It's true. I I started my career with a large retailer, like my career in buying mm-hmm. and like a, it's a fast fashion retailer. Yeah. And uh, my most recent job before the pandemic, I had come back to them to launch a new brand for them. And that break in between seeing how much faster and how much cheaper everything yeah. had gotten, it was shocking. shocking. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think there was a really big shift with everything at that point in time. And I, it's like, I don't, there's no real rhyme or reason to it. I'm sure years from now we'll figure it out, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, we study it's, it's it as history, crazy. but yeah, it's definitely, right. yeah, it's definitely been a weird shift there. That's for sure. <laughs> totally. Totally. Well, hopefully we're in the beginning of another big shift in the other direction, which I really, I really do believe that. I think and so I think too. I agree with you. The, the more we can like reach out to other people, you know, share our own stories, our experiences, what we've learned, the more impact that's going to have. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Thank you so much to Isabel for spending some time with me. Please, please. What a great guest, right? Go give her a follow on Instagram at Isabel.sk. Check out her line at IsabelSK.com. All that stuff will be in the show notes. One last thing before I stop recording and get to turn our air conditioning back on. Let me tell you, having a self-produced podcast in Austin, Texas during the summer is like the ultimate double dare physical challenge. (laughs) I did want to share something important that all of you here in the United States can do this week. And it involves the Fabric Act, otherwise known as the Fashioning Accountability and Building Real Institutional Change Act. I just say I want to get some sort of job where all I do is make up acronyms that are actually words that tie back into what's happening. Love it. A thematic 
a thematically appropriate acronym. Anyway, the Fabric Act was recently introduced in the Senate by Senator Kirsten Gildebrand of New York and in the House of Representatives by Caroline Maloney of New York. The Fabric Act would protect the 100,000 garment workers here in the United States. It will revitalize the garment industry in the U.S. by improving working conditions, reforming the piece rate pay scale, that's where you get paid by the piece, and investing in domestic apparel production. These are major, major things. If you've been hanging around here long enough, you know, unfortunately, that the U.S. garment industry is much smaller than it was in the past. But you know what? It's still it's still nothing to sneeze at because it still generates about $9 billion each year. And unfortunately, this you also know if you've been hanging around here long enough, a great deal of wage theft and garment worker exploitation happens under that made in the USA label, as in bad stuff happens here too unfortunately. Passing the Fabric Act will not only benefit the lives of these 100,000 garment workers and their families, it hopes to bring more of the textile industry back to the United States. The policies and regulations within the act work under five pillars. One, enforcing minimum wage standards and eliminating wage theft. This would effectively get rid of the paid-by-the-piece model that leads to dangerous working conditions, child labor, and wage theft. And it is so prevalent here in the domestic textile industry, especially in Los Angeles, but throughout the country. Next, the Fabric Act would increase accountability on brands and retailers to combat workplace violations. Once again, a lot of consumers assume that made in the USA means good working conditions and ethical policies, but it just doesn't. Next, the Fabric Act would increase transparency and it would incentivize reshoring with tax credits. This in itself, bringing production back to the United States, could increase transparency into supply chains and ensure safe legal working conditions and practices. Sometimes it's just easier when it's happening right here, right? To make this happen, to bring production back to the United States, the Fabric Act will create a $40 million domestic garment manufacturing grant program aimed at revitalizing the industry. These are all the things we've been wanting, right? So how can you get involved? Well, first, go to fabricact.org to learn more about this important piece of legislation. Next, sign the petition showing support for the Fabric Act. I will link to all of these things in the show notes. Signing the petition takes approximately five seconds of your life. Next, call your senators to voice your support for the Fabric Act, and there is a great script for you to follow at fabricact.org. And lastly, share your support for the Fabric Act on social media. You have a major amount of influence amongst the people in your life, and odds are high that most of them care about doing the right thing, but don't even know the Fabric Act exists. So share away and share often. Knowledge is power and sharing knowledge builds community. It ultimately creates massive societal and governmental change. So let's make it happen. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse, written, produced, hosted, edited, all the things by me, Amanda Lee McCarty. If you like what you're hearing around here, please 
please go leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It does magical things in the algorithm. More people get recommended to listen to it. Which, by the way, another great thing you can do to show your support is recommend this podcast to other people. <laughs> That's actually probably the best thing you could do. If you'd like to support my work here on Close Horse financially, go learn more at patreon.com slash podcast. I just want to let you all know the next six weeks of my life are pretty wild. I have a business trip for my day job almost every week, and my birthday is coming up in a few weeks. So the episode schedule is going to be a little weird for the next six weeks or so. I can't guarantee an episode every week. I can't even guarantee when they're going to come out, but there will be episodes, I promise. So just keep checking Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Um, But know that I will still be there on the Instagram every day sharing new content. Thanks, as always, to my other half, Dustin Travis White, for our music and audio support. And I will talk to you all soon, probably next weekend. Bye. Thank you.